Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Happy, I'm trying to remember what day it is because I just got back in Los Angeles. And uh, thank you. Great show from Marge Halpern. I uh, hope you had a great time. And uh, I, we were talking, I'm like right up to the gate. And I'm like, I would ask you to stay, but you've been on for three hours. So I don't know if you feel like jumping on a little bit longer. But what we were talking about is that I have, uh, I just got back from Los Angeles and I have a lot of friends uh, in the Jewish community there. And so I kind of felt more surrounded than I do in this community where uh, I feel like folks who are uh, saying they're very pro-Israel, the na, na, the the Christo nationalists are staking out different territory in there. You want to jump in? Yeah, come in. Mar, just jump in back in with me. Um, but I, I don't talk that much about it on the air because I don't feel well informed enough. But my take, my my emotional reaction to the very uh, loud uh, from the river to the sea within hours of these attacks by Hamas. And the slaughter of babies in their bassinets and kids at a festival rang very much. It felt very much like all lives mattering, the situation. Well, it seemed like what was Israel wearing? Did she ask for it? You know, what did you think was going to happen? That's what it felt like, Marge. Well, uh, you know, it's it is complex and it is uh, emotional and painful for, you know, whether you're directly impacted because of your background or a position you've taken or just as an observer, it's it's horrific, the whole thing. Um, and so we all have a lot of different emotions about it. And, um, you know, being well, you're in the talk radio business, being well informed does not stop a lot of people from commenting <laughs> about a lot of things. This this in particular, I think, uh, because it, you it remember. It deserves more gravity yes. in response. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and you remember after 9-11, there were people, there were people who thought that we deserved it in this country. Mm-hmm. I mean, who mm-hmm. were like, you know, we have been doing things around the world. We've uh, marginalized people. We've uh, terrorized people. We've colonized people. Uh, and so we deserve 9-11. And that was, you know, I was like, okay, it just happened, though. Can we? And and look, our reaction was aggressive. And I think that's yeah. the part where we can talk about this. But the, what you know, what do you think was going to happen with the way Israel was behaving is not what you say in the hours or even, you know, basically justifying that terrorist attack. Yeah. But what I will say is I'm very disappointed that Israel has not responded with more humanity. Right. Well, and that's not, that's more a reflection on Benjamin Netanyahu. Absolutely. Which would be like if we were in the situation with Trump at the helm. Yeah, that's right. They reelected. They elected him and reelected him. And if we reelect Trump, um, you can expect the world to look at us askance as well. I mean, we saw it happen the first time. We lost international support, even though the MAGA folks think that's when we were re- truly respected around the world. We actually know that's not true, right? Um, so we reelect Trump, and we put ourselves back in that same boat um, of having chosen a leader um, who does not engender respect. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's gut wrenching, and and that, yeah. I think that's where a lot of people come from is that they the, for those of us who don't feel like we want to, and, and a lot of people told me you, you mentioned before we op- op- I opened the mics is that you can be a good ally. I don't think that for me 
you know, people are like, well, you're being very quiet about it on social media, as though my silence is somehow, you know, condoning something. And also, if you look at my social media, I haven't really been aggressively posting about anything even prior to October 7th. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, you know, sort of almost immediately there was this like, you know, if you're silent, you're not an ally. Well, this is where you want to raise up the voices of others who um, have are better positioned to say something knowledgeably and coming from the community that's impacted. So people who are uh, either victims of anti-Semitism or afraid that they may be. I had someone, I've had more than one person tell me they're afraid to go to synagogue because they don't want to congregate with Jews. They think they won't be safe. Mm. Um, You know, so what are people saying about that, about how they feel at the rise of anti-Semitism I, you know, a six-year-old Muslim boy was killed basically in our community. Um, what is the Muslim community saying about that? And how can we um, repost, retweet, support the things they're saying? Yep. Um, and maybe our own opinion, if we're not directly impacted, doesn't belong in the conversation. Yes. But raising the opinions of those that's how you, of uh, those who are, that's how you're a good ally. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and on that note, you I take think off? I am uh, stepping out. Well, great show. It was lovely to talk to you. Thank you for your you're time too, and for your insight, please. Thank you so much. You I'll yeah. be listening on my way home. I will talk to you again Thanks. soon. Be well. Uh, I, uh, I just got back from Los Angeles and uh, it was, you know, I'm happy to be home and not just because it was sunny and 60 when I rolled into Chicago. <laughs> It'll be nasty when I come back in December because I'll be going out there again. Uh, excited to be back in the mix. And uh, with the sag after strike nearly settled, uh, hopefully projects will be up and running again. So I'm excited about that. Take care, Marge. Bye. And uh, I'm going to talk to Richard Shavzin Chav- later on. We're going to talk to him about the some of the details of the the contract. And it was so funny. I was at the, I was wearing my strike captain button and my sag after shirt at the uh, the airport this morning in Los Angeles. And the TSA guy was like, are you happy with the contract? Look, dude, it's five in the morning. I, I have some concerns. And he wanted to push back. And I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> it has been a long slog. And, and I, and I just want people to know, partly, I think that regular listeners of the show know that often tension makes me laugh, too. Uh, there are people who have suffered, who have lost jobs, and not just members of SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild. There are crew members who have lost their homes and jobs and uh, have uh, suffered in their relationships, have battled addictions. And we learned uh, over the weekend that a, uh, um, a member of a crew uh, took his own life from the stress and uh, had felt like he was at his wit's end, was out of resources and was battling addiction and uh, our hearts go out to all those who are suffering because we really this was a fight for everyone but we knew said it, as we launched into this that it was going to be painful and um, I'm sad to hear that that has been of the of the worst kind of pain for some people um, and that was one of the reasons I was a strike captain was I have uh, the I, I ha- I'm in a solid position and uh, and can I uh, have the the blessings of my day job to take an hour or two off to go help organize and uh, I have the the support here at WCPT a strong union shop and uh, we're going to talk a little bit later about some of the details of the contract and uh, there are projects that are starting to be up and running 
And I'm excited to tell you about some of the stuff that we're working on as well going forward. Let's see. Let's take a break here and uh, I'll set up the rest of the show because we do have a great show coming up. I know in a little bit we're going to talk to Representative LaShawn Ford to talk about uh, uh, some a project he's been working on involving mental health. So we're excited to talk to him in just a little bit. And we will be back after this on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Our phone lines are open. The text screen is up. So if you want to give us a call or join the conversation by texting, the number is 773-763-9278. Again, that number, if it's easier, it's 773-763-WCPT. And we've got Jim on the line. Jim, it's going to be back in Chicago. What's on your mind, my friend? Welcome back to civilization, Patty. <laughs> and the immortal words, yeah, the immortal words of one of my old relatives said: "Any time you leave Chicago, you're camping out." Yeah. All, all I was going to say, all I was going to say is, at least I'm being referred to as vermin now. Now I'm vermin. It's yeah. better. It's a step up from being a pedophile and a child trafficker. But I, you know, I was going through the brochure, the Trump University uh, brochure. And I said to myself, should I be an entrepreneur and an exterminator? That might not be a bad thing. And then I thought to myself, well, after a liquid lunch of probably eight Guinnesses and roll up a couple of Acapulco goals, can I really handle that pesticide? (laughs) I might not, uh, you know, I might not do too well with that racket. I've been uh, been thinking about this, Jim, as far as the vermin comments go. And and say he was saying he was calling, he said he was going to root out fascists, Marxists, and communists, right? And this is where, (laughs) right, because because they don't know what those words mean. We know that we have to assume. I mean us, right? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, who else? There's only there's only two parties. And you're referring to that. Right. I mean, there's only two parties. The Congress is 1860. And, and, Unless you want to go back to the Whigs and the know nothings. Right. right. Well, he's also talking about how uh, migrants are, po- uh, are like polluting the, the bloodlines. Isn't that the other thing that he was alluding to over the weekend? <laughs> Which, if you recall, what are, what are what are his bloodlines? I think he's Scotch and German. I think he is. Well, I, guess. I think he is. Yeah, that blue- whatever he is, who cares? Yeah. He's a he's a miserable creature under any circumstances. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, but you remember a few? Uh, I think it was earlier this year, maybe it was uh, late last year, when we had a caller. We called him. I called him uh, Booger Eating Brian because uh, he reminded me of the the my classmate I had in kindergarten who called me a racial slur when I was only five years old, and that guy was calling to say <laughs> yeah. that uh, you know that the people the people like me, like my mom, are coming here to replace replace them to replace real Americans. Which we heard in, in you know year, what was the what was the march was it Virginia where they were trying to take down the statue of Robert E. Yeah, yeah. with the with the uh, the, the tiki torches. Yes. Well, that's what drove that's what drove Biden back into the uh, into the fray because yes. he thought to himself, hey, this is this is way too off pace. You know, yes, he said he said he said immigration is is polluting the blood of our country. Yes, poisoning. I'm sorry, poisoning the blood. It's not even polluting because they don't believe in pollution, so they have to say poison. But yes, that's, that's the kind of rhetoric he's using. And his two sons have done a pretty good exterminating the last couple of tigers and rhinoceroses and you know, the last of the species. Well, you know, this year was the hottest year in yeah. recorded history. Yeah. In recorded history. Uh Greenland has lost about, I don't know, 15% of their land mass. The, the oceans are rising. And the Republican debate, no one, he never brought none of those uh, Holt or any of those other uh, uh, 
you know, people that run the debate said, you know, what about uh, climate science? They don't even believe in climate science. They still think that Fauci went over Vincent Price's house and made up the uh, COVID, uh, the COVID. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is how absurd this party's become. Oh, absolutely. Look, there's even, there's even folks that chime in on our threads on the live stream um, and say things like, you know, that we need to reelect Trump to uh, one person said to uh, save America. And, and I guess one listener pushed back and said, well, just recover. But think of what happened just even in the last few months of Trump's presidency of how many hundreds of thousands of people died because he refused to do the right thing in the face of a pandemic of a global well, pandemic knew, but he knew that he knew that in february he talked yeah. to uh, the author of the book and, and he kept his mouth shut too to his own chagrin but that was february because everybody else took it on their, i took it on my own volition in march to go in the, in the hiding but uh, they could have renounced that in February, so this is going to be a bad disease. But he didn't, he didn't let on to anybody, which I find beyond the pale, beyond belief. But uh, uh, what other crazy thing? Yeah. Anyway, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, the uh, economic news today was terrific yeah. again. Inflation is, inflation is being tamed. Yep. So we're going. We were going a lot of momentum into this election. A lot of momentum. So this baloney about uh, Biden being too old, while Trump is, is Methuselah himself and losing all grip on reality and uh, cognitive force of the earth. I mean, it's. I think uh, I, I, we're looking pretty good, Pay. Yeah. I'm glad you're back in town Thanks. and have a good show, dear. Thanks, Kip. Appreciate it. And to that point, though, when I was mentioning that one of our friends and thanks for watching, we appreciate it or listening. But President Biden has helped this country into recovery. And we are continuing continuing down that path, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's investing in education, whether it's our our international relations. And look, this is a uh, horrifying time in history, but he has been the most successful president since Lyndon Johnson. I don't know what else to tell you. The unemployment rates, as Jim just mentioned, now in inflation for the entire month of October was flat. Gas prices, I told you, there was a, there's a big, huge banner on the side of a building. If you're traveling on uh, the Jane Adams on I-90 near about Arlington Heights, maybe, maybe Schaumburg, a big building that has a a big Trump banner. It says, I miss when gas was $3.75 under Trump. Well, that banner is a little outdated considering it's $3.40 at its lowest. And look, I, like I said, came from Los Angeles and the gas prices there are higher, folks. Whoo! Everything in Los Angeles is so expensive. I don't know how anybody can survive uh, there. And, and, and this, I'm sure the strikes have been catastrophic for people because gas there is uh, today filled up with $4.79. And that was one of, I, I drove for a little bit because I knew I'd seen some cheaper places. Uh, drinks, food, everything out there is more expensive. Uh, and that is, but that's always been the case with Los Angeles. Uh, property there is incredibly expensive. And I have to say, and it, it's going to take time. It is not to negate the fact that people are struggling. I'm not saying this to say, hey, everything's better now. I'm saying President Biden has gotten us on the path to recovery. And we are investing more in infrastructure than we have in decades. Unemployment is low. We have, yes, we have issues. And one of the reasons why Governor Abbott want, and Governor DeSantis want us fighting amongst each other about 
asylum seekers and migrants is because they need to create something. They need to put something out there that makes Democrats fight amongst ourselves or try to make it look like it's a disaster. Uh, it is uh, it's it's not beyond our ability to manage this. If if we had coordination with the governor of Texas, with Catholic Charities, which, by the way, in San Antonio got $48 million to help with asylum seekers and migrants. And rather than connect them with services in an area where the weather drops, like, let's say it's 30 degrees here or colder, it's still going to be above 50 or 60 degrees in San Antonio. And rather than creating a space and coordinating services where people can survive if they have to sleep in it, if Unfortunately, they do have to sleep outside. They're going to survive here. That is not a path forward for folks who they just ship here and don't often tell the people that they're sending here what it's like here. They're often being lied to and told that, oh, no, they've got they've got housing for you. They've got clothing and food. Uh, They'll help you get jobs. And then they don't coordinate with the Catholic charities here in Chicago. That seems like that seems like just a. A no-brainer. How how are those agencies not just to pick up a phone, send an email, send a text? Hey, by the way, we uh, we've got a bus of uh, migrants. We've got here here's the here's the manifest. Here are the names. Here are the people coming to you. Even that would just be something that we could at least plan for. Uh, set the things in motion because right now in areas like my neighborhood, uh, areas on the south and west side, it is on the shoulders of volunteers who are on call twenty four seven, helping with making sure that people have what they need. Once they arrive at the police stations and shelters, they're sleeping at the at the airport. But they they're doing this. They're generating this drama. It's not that it's not already a horrific situation, but they're exacerbating it in order to win political points for the Republican Party. Hey, Paul in Seattle, what's on your mind for the Kitchen Table Progressives airing on Sunday nights right here on WCPT at 6 p.m. Hosted by Paul in Seattle. What's up, Paul? Hey, Pat. Yeah, well, as host of Kitchen Table Progressive, I thought I'm sort of uh, qualified uh to report on what I read about Donald Trump's table manners. Oh, God. I don't know if I want to know. Don't tell me. He chews with his, with his mouth open. Uh, I guarantee he spits when he talks with the food in his mouth. Go ahead. What, what did you learn? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's all that. But, I mean, most of it was it was all stuff you'd expect. But, um, so his, his favorite meal is called the Donald, of course. And that's, that's three uh, McDonald Big Macs. Mm. Um, Good child. Patty's extra, Patty's extra well done. First of all, let me tell you something. If you are in doubt and you don't really know if somebody's a right winger, and they if they eat their beef extra well done, just they're not a progressive. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, my brother, my bro, my Trumpy brother. Uh-huh. I mean, I've had made steaks. Now I invite him over, have just perfectly cooked, uh, you know, medium medium rare steaks, and he'll go throw it back on the barbecue, like and just leave it there for like twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought, no, I'm not inviting you over. I'm not wasting money on good steaks for you to do that, right? <laughs> and then he'll eat it with ketchup, just like that's oh, the next thing. Yeah, exactly. Donald, Donald uh, smothers them with ketchup. So three of those and a, I don't know, I guess McDonald's has a, uh, an M&M, a, he, a large M&M shake with the M&Ms removed. Um, he does what? throw this meal at the wall frequently, getting ketchup all over. But... The, of course. I'll just cut to the chase. The, the, the part that I found most disgusting, and I think I read this on Daily Coast, uh, I deleted it. I was so disgusted I deleted it, so I can't go back and look at it. But 
the, the part that was the most disgusting is that, now this is at Mar-a-Lago, he takes food off other people's plates and eats it. What? Yeah, I, I could. You know, you know, it's funny. It's kind of. Have you? I, I don't know if you've ever eaten with mobsters. And this is going to be a weird thing for me to say. <laughs> uh, no, no, Patty. But you, you probably have more experience with yes. that. <laughs> so I, uh, with the out the gang, the outlaw gang, right? Uh, so there was a comedy club owner who was a member of the outlaw gang, and this was. I mean, so and, and the weird, like if they would always make us go to dinner, and I say make because if you said no to dinner on Thursdays, like you were persona non grata, you could you risk not being booked at the club again. And I, I was, and I ordered a meal, and like there was some food left on my plate. They all started. They they would grab food off of each other's plates and harass each other, like during the meal, and uh, and like, hey, you gonna eat all that? And like the waitress was taking my plate away, and they all were like, how, like basically, how dare you not share that with us? It was really weird. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- oh, by the way, this was reported by um, I don't remember the guy's name. He, he was somebody who worked in the kitchen or was a chef at Mar-a-Lago for two weeks and he quit. He said he couldn't stand looking at it. But I thought, just think about it. Trump is eating at Mar-a-Lago with rich people. Now, right. if I have that kind of money where I'm sitting there <laughs> eating with Donald Trump, these people have absolutely no backbone at all. Because yeah. if somebody did that to me, if right. anybody except for my significant other took food off my plate without asking or saying something uh well i'll just say the the most polite thing i would do was i'd stand up and i'd say go ahead eat the rest of it and i would push in my chair and say have a nice day yeah, i'm not rude. eating here anymore yeah yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be i'm not gonna eat any more off that plate i'll push it over to him and say yeah, have the rest of it and then i'm gonna leave i'm not gonna sit at that table anymore it's it's the kind of thing these that people, these, yes these are rich people these are rich people who have so little backbone they have so much money that they've their backbone is dissolved I mean they are invertebrates yeah well they just figure that's you know he's being eccentric that's what other people will write it off as they're like that's the cost of sitting at the table with the president you know and that it, it's the kind of behavior that someone is demonstrates when they think everyone everything belong everything and everyone belongs to them. And is right. up for grabs, literally. He's, I mean, that goes back he's to showing his dominance, and yeah. And I guess people, people, I guess that that's the kind of kinky fetish that they like. This is how I like to be dominated. Eat food off my plate. Oh, I love that. You know, right. it's like, yeah, that's their kink. That's their fetish. Uh, that's what it really is. I, I mean, really, that's what it turns out to be is a fetish. Uh, I think actually, um, a, a lot of right conservative is a fetish and, and by that i don't fetishes don't have to be sexual right a fetish is simply just something that is that you unless you go through this you cannot you cannot uh get any emotional gratification unless you go through this ritual or this procedure or whatever and i think that that's what people they don't feel good about themselves unless oh yeah <sighs> trump ate food off my plate <laughs> <laughs> right i will wow. say i don't do well in environments where there's a an, like well, not just eccentric behavior, but an expectation of behavior or tolerating. That's what it is. An expectation of tolerating bad behavior. I don't have, I just have no, I have a very no. low threshold for that. Like, yeah, for example, this morning at the airport, this woman behind me, and look, I have had my moments at the airport, right? But she came in hot, like yelling about the bins, you know, the bins that you put your shoes and your clothing in and, and basically like slamming the bins around. She's like, nobody knows what they're doing over here. It's like, I have a low tolerance for that. So, I mean, 
me like she went to grab my bin. She was just overreacting, and I'm like, uh, take it down a notch. <laughs> it's five in the morning. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, we're not doing this here, but yeah, bad situ- behavior is just uh, I. I yeah. don't deal with that. No, and I'm. I I, I think probably. I, I what I do is I do temper my my reaction because I'm tempted to, you know, get back in their face. But I think yeah. normally what I do is just pretend like they don't exist. I just you will not get anything out of me. Right. It's like, um, that's actually that's what that's what dogs do. Do you notice that? Um, what how, how, they learn how to train dogs, and this is how they train. Uh, guide dogs for the blind, and I because uh, I, I don't have a dog myself, but I um, I was thinking about getting one. But the the way they train them is they notice how other dogs how dogs interact with each other, and when when an, another dog doesn't like a, a dog doesn't like another dog's behavior, they ignore them. They don't. Yeah, right. if, if if one dog's playing too rough, you don't. They don't bite back and say, "Hey, that's enough." They say, "That's it. Over. Game over." They just walk away. Right. And that's how they do it. And that's that's kind of the way I. I kind of extinguish. It's called extinguishment. You know, you just right. extinguish. You don't, you don't give it any air. Nasty people. You, yeah, you don't give the yep. fire any air. You let it die out. No oxygen. That's right. Yep. Well, I, I, I wish. Oh, and the other thing that this guy said that every every day after dinner, every evening, Donald Trump eats three or four desserts and tells everybody, "I never do this. I never do this. This is a witch hunt. I guess is making me do it." Every night he says that. Every night he whoops down four four p three four pieces of cake. Uh, and then says, I, I never do this. So, you know what? I'm, I don't know. Since I can't see very well, I can't well, at all, actually. Um, I don't know what the guy's waistline is, but, you know, I was listening to that commercial uh, that runs kind of at the bottom of the hour sometimes about uh, your, uh, what is it called? Metabolic syndrome. And it's if you're, if you're a man, a Caucasian, and your waistline is over 40, and I think Donnie's is, uh, that's one of the things you need to worry about. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh boy. I think uh, it looks like Dave from Hoffman Estates wants to talk about the same topic. I, I don't. I don't like talking about the president eating. I don't want to think about it. But I, I'm going to go to okay. Dave. All right. But we're well, going to anyway. I'll pass the. Pl- I'll yeah. pass the plate to Dave. Yeah. Pass the plate. Hey. Hey. You, hey. Dave. You going to finish that? If you're, you're going to finish that, I'm going to eat that. You, I'm just going to grab it off your plate. What's up, Dave? Okay. Real quick, just taking off a of Paul's thread there. I wonder if uh, Trump got mad at. Uh, Cassidy Hutchinson for cleaning that uh, spaghetti off the wall when he threw the plate. <laughs> right. And, uh, and the um, and I remember that time when uh, he had uh, was uh, Sarah Palin when they were sharing the New York pizza or whatever. Oh, I don't remember that. That was a few, you yeah. know, a few years back. I really ignore stories about Sarah Palin. She's that talk about somebody who deserves no, uh, not uh, not deserves oxygen. That sounds. <laughs> I just I don't I have no interest whatsoever. The fact that she came so yeah. close to being the vice president. Ugh. Yeah, she was only, what, a couple of heartbeats away. Yeah, well, a couple yeah. boats. Yeah, Any, well, she was probably busy reading all those articles of everything that she, you know, and right. uh, she got quizzed. Yeah, uh, what do you read? I read everything, you know. So anyway, uh, I just wanted to feed off on uh, about the plate on the wall bit, you know. Great. Great. Thank you so much. All right, be well. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Dave. All right. Thank you. Coming up in a moment, we're going to check in with our good friend. I haven't had a chance to talk to Representative LaShawn Ford in a bit. I'm excited to catch up catch up with him and uh, learn about his involvement in Movember. We're going to talk about men, uh, men's mental health and how you can get involved in an event that's coming up. Let's talk to Representative LaShawn Ford when we come back on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. 
You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. I am honored to welcome our next guest to the show. Uh, Representative LaShawn Ford has run for mayor. He's hosted a show right here on WCPT, and he wants you to know about an important event coming up later this week. He himself is a prostate cancer survivor at a young age, uh, knew he had to advocate for himself and wants to talk about how men, young uh, men, all men in general, need to talk about their mental health and their own well-being and advocate for themselves, in particular black men. Representative LaShawn Ford, how are you doing today? Betty, it's so good to be with you. Thank you very much for always being on the case. Oh, absolutely, my friend. Uh, I think I told you when I was at another station, uh, you have a big fan listening to you right now at my house. My mom was uh, enchanted by you and uh, wishes you all the best. I mean, well, I do too, but my mom too. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, moms are more important than anybody. Yes. So I, I would like to wish her a happy holiday. Oh. Thank you very much, Fred. Oh, that's very sweet of you. Thank you so much. Now, you know, I think some people have heard the term Movember, you know, kind of in the background. Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, I think that some people thought it meant growing out your beard to, to cheer on the Blackhawks. Uh, maybe that was part of, you know, some of the, the ritual of that. But Movember has taken on a whole movement. Tell us a little bit about Movember. Well, it's it's really about uh, men health, men health um, across the board. So it's making sure that men understand how important it is to, let's just be simple, go to the doctor and make sure that you have a relationship with your doctor, or if you don't have one, get one. And um, it's about preventative care, because many times in communities, you see morbidity rates high because people actually don't know their health status. For instance, the call is about me being a prostate cancer survivor. And the only reason why I believe today, and the doctor will tell you that I'm here today to talk about this, um, is because I advocated for myself to get a PSA test to check for prostate cancer. Had it not been for self-advocacy, it would be more than likely that I would have had an aggressive, I had an aggressive cancer, but that aggressive cancer would have been the fate of me. Right. At an early age. Because they had, so, they had told you you were too young to be screened for it. They're like, oh, you don't have to worry about yeah. it. That kind of almost dismissiveness, Right. Exactly. The mainstream medicine says that you should not have a prostate screen until you're uh, in your 50s, 55. But the truth is, um, depending on your risk, you should get a health screening earlier. And I don't want to give an age, but you should not wait until you're 55. Every man should have a relationship with a doctor to understand their prostate health. You know, do you remember James Michael Tyler, the actor that played uh, Gertrude and Friends? Yes. He actually died of prostate oh. cancer in 2001. Many people don't know. So this is impactful for black men, but it's also impactful for white men. You know, he actually, James uh, Michael Tyler actually died of prostate cancer. His wife told him for years. Mm go to the doctor and get screened for your uh, prostate health. And he refused to do it. And then when it was 
complications that forced him to go to the doctor. He got screened for prostate, and he found out that it was aggressive and it had spread. Mm. 99% of prostate cancer is treatable, and that's why we're um, teaming up with Northwestern and 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 um, the um, Northside uh, Medical Center to make sure that we're able to um, have what you call um, early detection, because early detection will save your life. And this is such an important event. Again, this is going to be uh, this is going to be on the the 16th, correct? And this is going to be That's at right. oh herbs herbs I say herbs herbs barbershop uh, and there's free Herb, yeah Her, I say herbs he's not a herb herb <laughs> herbs, herbs 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 uh, barbershop is providing free men's haircuts uh, common threads is going to provide information about healthy cooking there'll be cooking demonstrations uh, town hall discussion at 4 p.m. and they and they are scheduling appointments for prostate-specific antigen screenings. So how do folks, uh, they, can, they can register for this? Uh, women, get your, get your men to register for this event. Because <laughs> a lot of times, that's the other part, is that men, you know, there's this kind of, you know, this uh, masculine part of it where, I'm fine, I don't need anything of that, right? I don't, need to, I don't need to worry about that kind of stuff. That's right. And the good thing is, it's so very simple to learn your prostate health. It's, you go to the doctor and you tell your doctor that you would like to have your prostate um, score. That's it. It's not even, let me just be a little vulgar here, it's not, the initial screening is not even a physical screening where men might worry about having to have the exam, the finger up, the rectum. That's not the first exam. It could very well be like we're going to do at the town hall meeting and the meeting, we're going to have PSA screens. Mm -hmm. That's it. And people will know if they have elevated prostate. Now, uh, I'm not a doctor, but uh, doctors will tell you that we have to make sure that that is not the determining factor whether or not you have prostate cancer. We know that that's not the determining factor, but it is an opportunity to learn your prostate health. And a PSA is just a simple blood draw, and I think that um, it's very important that men advocate for themselves. Absolutely. That's what I did. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's that's the thing, too, folks, it, whether it's it's a, you know, a doctor telling you too young when you feel the symptoms. I, I had a friend who had uh, colon cancer. And by the time she had the symptoms, she was already stage four. And uh, and yep, sadly, we, we lost uh, my good friend, Christine Bloomer. And uh, and but she was feeling she was feeling off and she was young. She was in her early 40s. And so this is something like, you know, it, it, make sure that you are on top of things, whether it's because you have a family history or something feels off or, or you would just like to have it done. Advocate for yourself and, and tell us a little bit about the uh, the the venue. This is going to be at uh, the North Costner Health Center, right on Costner Avenue. Yeah, 1520 North Costner, and it's going to start at 3.30, and uh, we're going to have um, doctors there. In fact, one of the doctors that I see from Northwestern Hospital will be there, um, Dr. Um, Bennett. He's the urologist. You know, one thing, we're going to talk about uh, prostate cancer um, and other types of cancer that might impact people. We're going to talk about making sure that people understand their 
you know, the full health of the body, Mm -hmm. mental health. You know, people are stressed, and we're going to talk about whether or not um, people need to deal with their mental health in a medical way. We're going to talk about cardiovascular health. Many times people die of heart attacks and strokes because they have uh, poor cardiovascular health. I've learned that you can't, you can't what you call um, escape death, but you can be smart about making sure that you prevent deaths that are preventable. And that means that you um, early detection for prostate cancer. Make sure you know your cardiovascular health. Make sure that you understand your stress levels. Have a relationship with a doctor. And at this health uh, fair, this town hall, you're going to have the opportunity to have doctors there that you could start a relationship with. And that's what it's all about, having a relationship that doesn't cost you. You know, healthcare right. is very expensive. This is free. That's amazing. And folks, this is being brought to you by this. The venue, the location is the Near North Health, again, at 1520 North Costner Avenue. And that's right here in Chicago. And this is also the services are being provided by Near North Health in um in cooperation with uh, with Lurie Comprehensive Cancer Center of Northwestern University, uh, Aetna Medicaid, and of course there's going to be a, there's also going to be a vendor affair there, and you'll have folks from Common Threads, which is a national nonprofit that supports food as medicine, which is another thing that we you know we often you know communities we're talking about people of color not necessarily having the same kind of attention paid to them, or as you mentioned you know needing that extra step of advocacy. We also have communities that are food deserts. So we need to learn yeah. how to be able to nourish ourselves to also, you know, be preventative. So we don't have yeah. to find ourselves in these situations, right? Yeah, that's right. And Patty, you made a very strong statement that I think people should um, make sure that they uh, resonate with. And that was, if you wait until it's too late and you start experiencing symptoms, that's a problem. Right. You, you have to be preventative in your approach so that you can know when you have a problem. When my cancer was very aggressive at 48, and I was able to remove my prostate and remove the cancer, and since then I've been cancer-free because I advocated for myself. Every man... Every man, because this is for men, should advocate for themselves regardless to what the doctor says. Right. You can ask questions because the difference in healthcare for black people and white people, there's a difference because the the mainstream medicine says that you should not be tested for prostate cancer until you're fifty five. But studies have shown that black men actually contract um, prostate cancer earlier. Therefore, black men should be tested and screened for prostate earlier, regardless to the mainstream medicine. Mainstream medicine is for um, what you call the majority population. 
Right. And that's just the way it is. Well, and, and, and it, you know, I've learned a lot over the last decade about, you know, why there isn't more research into certain, you know, medications, whether it's for children and how, you know, the way people, women and women of color are treated. We know that maternal health for black women is much more precarious than it is for white women. Uh, we know that w- women in the Latino community uh, suffer higher rates of breast cancer. There's d- different cultural situations, whether it's from within the community or the, from the medical community. What kind of uh, commitment have you been able to secure from some of the, the healthcare professionals that you talk to to really be mindful of this and spread that information and that awareness to their their peers? Yeah, the, the number one uh, message that I have and that I share with providers, and they're very open, they understand that, that black people and brown people have been left out of clinical trials. Right. And they have to be more um, focus on the facts that we know that black and brown people have been left out of clinical trials, and we have to treat every individual um, on an individual basis. Yeah. And we have to throw out the, the mainstream medicine. It just has to happen. And I think that I have providers that I work with, like Northwestern, like Northside Health, that says we understand that the mainstream medicine is not working for everyone. And that's why they're having this event on the 16th, because they know that they have to go out and, and spread the message that we want you to advocate for yourself. We're here for you. And we understand that the mainstream medicine is not exactly the... Um, it doesn't actually deliver the care that you need, but you have to keep for yourself until we can get the mainstream medicines to get to, to and eliminate the biases. Yep. And that's why I'm very excited about Northwestern and the um, FQAC Northside Health um, putting this on. It's a big deal because they're recognizing that the mainstream health don't focus on black health. And they're raising awareness and ringing the bell and sounding an alarm that we have to make sure that we uh, recognize that um, there's a difference that our healthcare has to um, deal with when it comes to black and white, black and brown. And so I, that's why I'm a partner with him. We are talking to Representative LaShawn Ford. He represents the 8th District, which is, includes the west side of Chicago and the near western suburbs. Look at me looking at your Twitter account. I, <laughs> I always try to find the quickest way to let, kind of give people an idea of what area of the, of the city we're talking about and, and including the suburbs. We're also discussing Movember, which is a movement where men grow a mo or mustache during November to encourage conversation around men's health, in particular the areas of prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide prevention, all to keep men from dying before their time. And we are at a moment, Representative, where, you know, when we're talking about uh, the uh, communities of color being at a disadvantage in in collision with the consolidation of these big health care industry, you know, they're, they it's for every dollar people get denials. I mean, it's such a slog to begin with, and it's made even more difficult for people who find themselves either dismissed or uh, not even uh, regarded in, in their health care, right? Yeah, it, you know, that's absolutely right. And But what's most important, Patty, is that we, we see the migrant situation and we see the people 
coming here because they want health care, they want homes, they want jobs. But every American has a right to health care, especially if you're poor. You have a right to Medicaid. And if you are unsure about your uh, status of health care, you could come to the event on Thursday, and we can enroll you in healthcare so that you can get your um, treatment, so you can get the care. Everyone, in America, if you are a citizen, you have a right to health care. And if you are unemployed, you are guaranteed health care. Guaranteed. Now, there's an issue with people that might have uh, income level mm-hmm. that might have a problem because they might have to pay a certain amount. But people that are unemployed, People that are high risk for um, for things like prostate cancer, and you're uninsured, you don't have to be. We're going to help you get enrolled that day. You will have insurance that day Folks, if you are. Yeah, that's, that's important. This is big. This is big. You know, and then then you can get your preventative care. Then you can make sure that your life expectancy is extended. You know, when your number's called, your number's called, but you should do everything that you can to value life and do everything to preserve it. Every single day you can breathe is a day of hope and uh, making sure that you are with the people that you love. And I, I believe that health care is a human right. And uh, I hope that we get to the point, you know, with the folks that are coming here, that we, you know, it's it's straining us. And we can maybe, you and I can maybe have a conversation about that some other time. But this is, I, I feel this is the crisis of our lifetime is health care. And, you know, the, the health care for profit system is not working in our country. So I'm so thrilled that you are providing a platform and a space for for people who don't know whether they can qualify, what you know, what, what are all the different you know levels of healthcare? What does that mean for me? Because it is open enrollment right now, correct? That's why you're you're providing that it, service it, as well. Exactly. Yep. It's open enrollment, and if anybody is is um, on SNAP or unemployed, they can get health insurance. That's the big thing about um, Illinois. We have what you call um, Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act where we have managed care organizations that are actually enrolling people every day in health care. So if you have a medical home, you're going to have a medical home when you come to this event because they will enroll you, and that will be your place where you can possibly see a doctor or they can refer you to a place closer to your home. That's it's fantastic. It's so important that you have this health care those individuals that have crossed the border to come to America, they wish that they qualified for health care, but they don't. They're here. They don't qualify for health care because the Affordable Care Act says that you have to be an American citizen to have it. Right. Guess what? Everyone in America that's unemployed could have health insurance. They don't have to fight for it. They can I'm, have it. I'm so glad you're delivering this message. And before before we let you go, I do want to come back to the uh, PSA test for prostate cancer. One listener says early PSA tests are are, an import, are important, not just for the score, but also as a comparison for future scores. Uh, it, the docs look at the score, but also changes in the score so they can monitor how you're doing and, and see if there's anything to be alarmed about. <laughs> That's a very wise um, listener because... That's why I'd say you got to know your prostate health and stay on top of it because doctors do look at it. 
they say, oh, your score is rising. We got a problem. And it doesn't, you can have a high PSA level and don't have um, cancer. That's why you have to have this relationship and you have to monitor the PSA level. And um, it's easy. When you go get your routine check, everyone should have a routine health screening once a year. And when you get it, just say, hey, doc, I need to know my PSA level. I am so grateful that you're doing this. I would tell you, Patty, that um, when, when you look at some doctors are concerned about PSA because they worry about false positives. I'm aware of all of that. They're worried that there could be a false positive and then it will lead to uh, um, biopsies that might harm people um, for life. That's understood, but you have to have a relationship with a doctor to know your prostate health. health. It's important, and that's what this event is about. Outstanding. And the event, again, is this Thursday, the 16th, from 3 to 6 p.m. There will be a vendor fair. Herb's Herb's Barbershop will be giving free men's haircuts. Common Threads will have healthy cooking information with a demonstration for a healthy stir-fry. Who doesn't love a good healthy stir-fry? There will be a town hall discussion on men's health, and uh, and there will also be PSA screenings for prostate-specific antigens. So again, this is at the Near North Health, North Costner Health Center at 1250 North Costner Avenue in Chicago. And uh, the rep will be there, Representative Sean Ford from the 8th District, as well as doctors from the Lurie Center Lurie Cancer Center at Northwestern, the uh, Michael Muffy Collins, founder of Run from Prostate Cancer, Brian Tucker, Begin Again, Chicago Life Coaching, just a few of the guests that will be there as well as part of this panel and event. Rep, I, it was it was a wonderful uh, conversation. Thank you so much for catching up with us. And the, our door is always open. You know where we are. We'd love to have you back. <laughs> thank you, Patty. All right. Thank you, Patty. Your thank mother raised a great daughter. <laughs> You're a good man, my friend. Your mom would do a great job, too. Have a great evening. Happy Thanksgiving. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks, Rep. Thank you. Thank you. you. Let's take a break here, and we have a great conversation coming up in the next hour with our friends from Wisconsin. We are going to talk to we're going to talk to Robert Craig, who's the executive director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and uh, well, he's a he's a local kid, grew up here, and now he's a that we won't call him a cheesehead. We won't we won't do that. That's not nice. (laughs) More after this on WCPT eight twenty Heartland Signal. Because facts matter. You are listening to WCPT eight twenty. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Happy Tuesday, everybody, and hello to our friends in Minneapolis-St. Paul listening on KTNF 950 AM. We are often covering the issues, the stories that are in the states, not just, you know, not just in the Midwest, but we focus a lot on Wisconsin, Iowa, Indiana, Minnesota, Michigan. Uh, That's where I know we can reach and and hopefully keep the information chain open and find out what's going on in our neighboring states. And joining us right now is the executive director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. You can go to citizenactionwi.org to find out more about them because they are celebrating 40 years of grassroots organizing. Hey, Robert, we're talking to Robert Craig. How are you doing today, Robert? I'm doing great. Glad to be on with you, Patty. And my mom's a listener to your station in Chicago, so I'm glad to be on. Well, I understand that you are from Oak Park originally. Is that correct? 
That is correct. I'm up here in Wisconsin now, came here for graduate school. But yes, I grew up in Oak Park. Oh, well, okay. So first of all, we talk, for some reason, we talk an awful lot about Oak Park. It is really, I don't know what's in the water there from all the artists that have grown up there to the incredible community activism that we see there, the wonderful um, c- connection that they have with the neighborhoods in Chicago, trying to create that lifeline for communities that are underserved. Uh, do you, what, what are your thoughts on why Oak Park is seems to be so tremendous i don't i'm 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 perplexed i don't know maybe it's because it's very close to the city you can ride in on the l line into chicago and so it's always been kind of a fulcrum i think it's it's changed a lot probably since when i grew up there obviously though i visit there my dad has a condo there as well and my mom lives just south of it in Berwyn. Um, I do think that there were just, it's just some, when communities get a concentration of people who are interesting people who um, are connected to the community, that it tends to attract others like that. And then, of course, their kids become that way because they were socialized that way. And do you feel that that has, you know, been part of the foundation that, that's led you to the work that you're doing in Wisconsin? Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, debated on the Oak Park River Forest High School debate team, and I feel like much of what we're doing in Wisconsin is trying to win a debate for the future democracy. So, so yes, absolutely. And what did you uh, study? Where, first of all, where did you go to grad school in Wisconsin, and what did you study? Uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison. I Believe it or not, I have a Ph.D. in rhetoric. Um, and, uh, so I studied the history of American political persuasion and, uh, which is pretty important now, giving the stakes. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, we could we could spend an entire segment on what you know what has been sort of manipulated and mangled uh, throughout the decades as the centuries of our our country's history, and uh, and and those arguments really are significant, as you mentioned uh, when we have these debates now. So, tell us about the work that you do with Citizen Action Wisconsin. So we're an organization that works on permanent issues that builds a statewide base of members because social change occurs with people, organized people, uh, standing up to organize money. It's the only way. But we also work in elections. We have the legal, we have the legal structure where we can we can endorse candidates and actually participate in elections. And as you know, and I know you're on the air in Chicago and Minneapolis, Wisconsin battleground state that unfortunately determines the the balance of national power when Illinois doesn't get as much of a choice, for example. Minnesota could be a battleground state, hasn't been recently. And so we're trying to build a permanent base of people to preserve and restore democracy here. We work on big issues like health care, guaranteed health care for all, uh, the whole climate crisis, doing what's necessary, but doing it in a way that expands the economy and opens it to all the people left out people of color, um, but then winning elections to elect candidates to state and local office that will actually do what's necessary to rebuild the middle class and restore democracy, but also win the critical presidential elections because Wisconsin is one of the six states that determines the outcome, which is not a great structure, but it's the structure we have. And what can, you know, with what the, with the work that you're doing right now, and, and well, first of all, how long have you been with Citizen Action Wisconsin? So I joined the staff in 2007. Okay. As often happens in 2009, I was made executive director because the organization was 
in financial crisis and was sta- was destabilized by the Great Recession. So I think in nonprofit world, if you can save it, you get to lead it. <laughs> well, there you go. I, it, it's a lot of hard work, and it is making those connections with people and communities. And you have seen a lot of change since 2007. Did you have a sense with working with, with groups and, and in communities that the, the, the kind of direction that we are, we will we find ourselves now was sort of simmering there under the surface, this sort of uh, uh, animosity with people who felt like too much was changing too fast, you know, having a black president, uh, you know, all these different social programs. Were, were you seeing that a little bit back in 2007 when you started with this organization? I was seeing it in graduate school in the 1990s in Wisconsin. Uh, It took a while to get a Ph.D. I think uh, this started way before Donald Trump. Donald Trump stepped in and took advantage of it. That division, strategic racism, uh, you know, uh, xenophobia against immigrants, a whole lot of other divisions were played up by the wealthiest in our society and corporations strategically in order to gain gain the kind of power where they can get more of the economic gains of our society, that this has been deliberate. And I was scared by the kind of Republicans that were in Wisconsin, though not fully dominant in the 1990s. And so this has been, I think, I, I, I want, we want to blunt it earlier, right? But this is, I think this has been a long time coming, and this, it took, took 40 years, not a couple years, to get one of our major parties actually committed to minority rule and undermining the, 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 the major pre, uh, underpinnings of democracy that have lasted over 200 years. And a big part of that was their efforts in gerrymandering and creating maps that benefited those those groups that want to, you know, essentially marginalize and and capitalize on power. It's it's mind boggling to me because Wisconsin, for such a long time, was a place where we talked about labor and human rights. Right. You're completely right, Patty. This had this state used to be the leader in progressive reform had a lot of the precedents that led to the New Deal and Great Society. It was done first in Wisconsin. Gerrymandering, I mean, the word doesn't do justice to how undemocratic it is, right? They set up the maps after the 2010 election, after the Tea Party kind of uh, surge in the first uh, first midterm after President Obama was elected, which, uh, as I think as you, you, you hinted, was also a backlash against having the first black president in this country's history. Um, they set up maps that are foolproof, and they use scientific methods to do so, public money, uh, computer algorithms, where there is no way the Republicans will not have a huge majority in both houses of the legislature. And that's the lawmaking power. And for at least two more years, they were able to use that through a right-wing court that they'd won through big money and the U.S. Supreme Court that Trump appointed to keep them in place after the 10 years. And so this is we've not had a democracy in Wisconsin because there is no, only one party can control the legislature and it's by huge margins. And they've used it to ram through a very unpopular agenda. We now, since we won, I, I think, you know, and your listeners know a huge nationally important state uh, Supreme Court race. We now have an actual Supreme Court that is likely to overturn those maps. But we've had what political scientists call democratic autocracy. That is, people vote and it feels like a democracy, but there's only one outcome. So it's not a real democracy. Mm. 
It's so hard. It's so hard to even conceptualize that. That and, and that's what drives people away often is that well, my vote doesn't matter, and they're making that so with through the gerrymandering, through the courts, and I mean, Justice Protasiewicz, I believe, uh, you know, while she's won her seat, there's another in two years. There's another race for another seat. Is that is that correct? Yeah, there'll court. be another seat up, so there'll be huge money on both sides, which is absurd. I mean, courts are supposed to be independent, but <laughs> there was an effort to impeach the gerrymandered assembly, why to impeach Justice Protasiewicz, mm-hmm. and that has died down for now. We think they've been scared off from that, but as long as they're in session, they potentially could try to impeach her. So you have it's amazing all the norms have been shattered, and they will use any lever they have. You see the impeachment of President Biden that way as well. There are no grounds, right? They can't even explain what the grounds are. And impeachment was supposed to be a, only for break glass when there was serious violation of public trust. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm just again that you mentioned something which is all the norms have been destroyed, and we've seen that time and time again. Since not as you mentioned, not just since Trump won. I mean, there were things that were definitely brewing before that, and and we saw you know whether it was the fervor of the NRA because you know when that uh, the ban on assault weapons expired and we saw mass shootings go up, there was still this sort of like nah, that's yeah, that's that's my Second Amendment right. Or, you know, we were kind of placated by Republicans that Roe v. Wade was the law of the land. They were, you know, you know, they were basically like, calm down, you're overreacting. And one of the things I told my son when Trump won was that I, I believe that people were going to be energized. I mean, it's it's I know a lot of people have, but it's feeling very vulnerable this year. While there are people like your organization in your organization, they're doing the work. Uh, what what are the how do I put this? What is the sense you're getting from the people who have been doing a lot of this hard work, helping get uh, Protasiewicz, Protasiewicz elected, Tammy Baldwin, Governor Ever, Evers? What what is your sense of of the energy right now heading into 2024? There's a real concern we have and uh, and our members have and our activists have about whether enough people will get off the sidelines and not treat politics as a spectator sport. There's a large number of people who watch cable news, and if they're on the progressive or Democrat side, watch CNN or MSNBC, right? Um, but then they don't think that's their political – oh, they do it on social media. But that's their political activity, and that is hobbyism. We need average people talking to other people. We have found that having deeper conversations with people in the communities, we call it their own communities, we call it deep canvassing, changes minds and is what rebuilds democracy and what we need to win this election. But you can't just be for the right thing. You can't just know what the, what the problem is. You have to be part of the solution, which means actually being part of voluntary organizations, being a volunteer, being an activist, and doing the work. And so our major concern is that, are enough people going to not simply know the stakes, but actually do something about it? Because that's what we're trying to recruit, the grassroots army that saves democracy in Wisconsin and the whole country. And we're at an inflection point because we're at a historical moment where Donald Trump could retake office, as you know, Patty, and has plans to end most of what's left of uh, democratic norms and and checks and balances. That cannot be stressed enough. Uh, Would you be willing to hang on for a quick break and continue our conversation for one other segment? Would that be okay? 
Sure, sure. I appreciate that. We're talking to Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. You can go to citizenactionwi.org and find out how you can get involved. And we'll find out. We'll talk more about that when we come back on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF 950 AM Minneapolis, St. Paul. Hey there, it's your guy Warren Price from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technocraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200, that's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez. In your communities in Chicago. On WCPT 820. Not just Chicago, also our, our our brothers and sisters to the north of us. We're talking to Robert Craig, the executive director of Citizen Action Wisconsin. You can go to citizenactionwi.org. He's a, an Oak Park native and uh, doing some great work in Wisconsin. And, and we were talking a little bit before the break about the concern that we, you and I, all progressives, have the concern about people showing up having the the I guess the the momentum of what we saw last week. I mean, how, you know, you guys had to feel enthusiastic about the reaction, the results in Ohio, Kentucky, uh, places that are, have a, a very deep red stronghold. What was the reaction from your uh, your colleagues at Citizen Action? Uh, very good. You're right, and uh, I was in Virginia. The, the weekend just ahead of the a vote that was to sweep the other way and created their current Republican governor and mm. ran on people on a hiking trail saying all the wrong things, talking about how they were taking away parents' rights. Yes. I'm like, oh, no, we're going to lose. And so just glad Virginia shifted back. And Virginia has been a bellwether. And what Ohio shows, and I think Kentucky to some degree is, is that uh, – this is something where there are unintended consequences. Them finally getting their wish to eliminate women's right to an abortion by uh, by uh, overturning Roe versus Wade has created something they can't control because their position is incredibly unpopular. And every time it's on the ballot, they lose. And I think, the Patty, that the lesson from the 2022 midterms where Democrats did much better than anyone expected and historically well is the polls don't even measure the impact of that issue or the impact of the threat to democracy, which to his credit, President Biden was talking about before the 2022 midterms and the various political experts were saying he shouldn't be talking about it because it didn't register in the polls. Mm -hmm. So I think that there is a there's a hidden push in the direction against autocracy that for some reason opinion researchers can't measure it with their polling methodologies. You brought up something that really I've, I've been thinking about for the last few weeks, which is that uh, parental rights in schools. Yeah. That was how the governor of Virginia carried across because he would ask that question. Don't you want to have a say in what your children's education is? And they really are trying to control just the overall way in which we tell our truth. And it's it's mind boggling to me that because that was a couple of years ago before this huge uh, wave of people storming school board meetings to, you know, protest and ban books uh, that that seems I mean, I know it was it was brewing before that, but that seemed like such a big victory that, you know, Moms for Liberty and all these different organizations yeah. essentially have become terrorist groups. Well, parents rights is a kind of a code word for us certain parents, not all yes. parents, right? Yeah. 
and very loud parents that are organized and are often funded by right-wing groups coming and mobbing school board meetings and overtaking unsuspecting school board members and school superintendents. And there's an old playbook. They did this in the 80s when the old uh, Christian right and the Christian coalition surge in a lot of areas. And But once people know what's going on, it proves to be very unpopular. So as you pointed out, Patty, Moms to Liberty lost a whole a yep. slew of races. Now, our gerrymandered legislature keeps passing absolutely heinous book banning and parental rights, quote-unquote, um, bills. But since we have a Democrat governor, they get vetoed. One thing I should tell you that we're within one vote of a veto override in the assembly. The, the, the Even though we're a 50-50 state, we have massive majorities of Republicans, and Democrats have to stay within a certain distance to the Capitol to prevent them from taking a, a sudden quick vote uh, when people aren't around and overriding a veto on one of these bills. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's, it's all about the games. It's all about the games with these folks. Absolutely insane. So I wanted to make sure we get to this part, which is what can people do? In, you know, it, we have our neighbors in Wisconsin listen to the show, folks in Illinois. Well, how can we get involved and help with – because we, you know, we are a pretty solid blue state. Uh, we have our, our parts of uh, you know, Illinois that we you know, need – we have school board meetings that get mobbed. We have uh, people who are trying to push this narrative of you know, that women are, are, are ripping babies out of their wombs at 42 weeks. It's just insane. But we are in a place where we have solidified a lot of rights and protections. What can we do to help in Wisconsin? I mean, one thing, it is helpful what's happening in Illinois with uh, the, the shift, progressive shift in your state politics and your Chicago politics is helpful mm-hmm. as well as an example. Um, and we're part of a national federation of organizing groups it represents the organizing group called People's Action, which is Chicago-based, and we work closely with People's Action affiliates in Illinois, such as the People's Lobby and One North Side. So they're great organizations for uh, for Chicago and Illinois work. There is a lot of work people can do where they help battleground states, and you're very close to Wisconsin. Um, like we work, and, and there are different ways where you, where you can be involved in also helping call in during the election to Wisconsin to influence uh, swing voters or come up and do door canvassing. There's one group, I'll just mention one that we work with called Sister District. That is uh, that that how, that figures out how people in blue areas can help the the, the states that decide elections uh, to win and also do things like overcome their gerrymandered legislative districts. So if we get fair maps in Wisconsin, we have to go and actually win Democratic majorities because otherwise. The Republican state legislature could be the vehicle for abrogating the 2024 election. Right. So, in other words, the state legislature in Wisconsin could have a huge influence on who's president. So there are a lot of ways to plug in uh, both to building power in your own area, but also you're close to a battleground state. So there are ways you can plug in and help people who go to our website. We will put we have a deep canvas long conversation with people. It's via phone. People can volunteer for, for to do phone calls into Wisconsin and we'll train you. Outstanding. And I think that's something that we need to keep reminding folks because I, when I was uh, helping folks with campaigns during the pandemic, because things change a lot. I mean, we actually now have more tools, don't you think, than before the pandemic, whether it's being able to organize by Zoom and being more savvy about that. It seems very helpful. 
we have a lot of tools, but the pandemic, because we got used to staying inside and being all virtual, mm-hmm. it's been hard to get people back out on the doors and back into action. I mean, it goes even to offices. You know, some corporations are trying to force people to come in and work back in the office. We haven't done that, but our office is underutilized because so many of our organizers simply stay virtual, right? Yeah, and come true. to the office to make copies. So I think we need to get over that kind of COVID lethargy because when the United States has been a vibrant democracy, what makes democracy democracy is elections. Voting is only part of it, right? The only the first stage. It's getting directly involved. That is the only way. Otherwise, the lobbyists and the special interests dominate action in the city hall or any state capital. Well said. Uh, it's been a great conversation. I was telling Robert Craig, executive director of Citizen, Citizen Action Wisconsin, that I would love to have you back and, and continue these conversations so that we can keep people updated on how would they can participate. To. Yeah, thank you so much. Again, at citizenactionwi.org. And we look forward to talking to you again. Have a wonderful evening. Have a great thanks, Thanksgiving. And I look forward to our next conversation, my friend. It was great. I love talking to you, Patty. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, anytime. And if anything comes up and you're like, hey, I want, I want folks in Chicago to know about this, do not hesitate to reach out, okay? Please. Awesome. I will take you up on it. Absolutely. It's there. The offer's there. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. When we come back, we're going to talk to our friend Richard Chavson from, from the SAG from the SAG After Board. We're going to talk about the contract. Uh, I'm going to tell him about how I got into a back and forth with TSA this morning. I don't, I don't know why I'm arguing at five in the morning about a SAG After contract, but we'll talk about talk about that with Richard when we come back on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal KTNF 950 AM Minneapolis St Paul. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez. In your communities in Chicago. On WCPT and across the country. I keep hitting that button. I'm like, that's the Chicago button. And we've got friends all over the country listening to the show, all over the world even. And our friend Richard Chavzin joins us uh, from SAG-AFTRA. Uh, remind me your title. I, I know you were in, on the national board previously still, yes? Uh, previously, yes. yes. Uh, I, was, uh, I was on the national board from 13 to 19. Okay, and I, but I've been on the local uh, board uh, for about twenty years now. Now I I know that uh, we are okay. Can I tell you what my sense of this has been since we learned that there was a, an agreement? Is I did not see the same kind of enthusiasm on social media as I saw when the writers got their deal. That's I'm just gonna put that out there. You don't have to comment, or uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. But that was my sense of things. Uh, no, that's interesting. Um, I, I mean, obviously everybody has their own, you know, river, they, you know, social media river, they swim in. Sure. Um, and I was seeing a lot of woohoo, okay. um, uh, coming at it. I think in the interim, I mean, there are, it, I will say this, it is a, it, it's a hell of a lot more complex. Yes. Um, uh, than than the writers had to deal with. Just, it's nothing else, just the size and the scope. Um, you know, we have 165,000 members, and um, the right. That's true. It was a, a lot more nuance. A lot more nuance involved. Um, but um, you know, listen. Is there opposition? Of course, there's opposition. There always is. I dare say. Um, speaking strictly for myself, given my familiarity over the years with the entire, you know, length and breadth of our brothers and sisters, 
there were people who it didn't matter what the deal was. Okay. It literally didn't matter. It, there was going to be opposition. Um, it, it, and if that reminds you of the, you know, GOP members of the house, well, that's, you know, you know, strictly <laughs> gotcha. coincidental. Um, but, um, so that dynamic is out there. So there were always going to be some contrarians, uh, just because of the politics. Sure. Um, that, that being said, uh, you know, these were waters that nobody had swum in before, Fair. uh, at all. So I think that, um, and it was one of the reasons why the strike lasted uh, what, 148 days. Um, and so I'm not, uh, I'm not surprised that there's a, you know, a, a variety of opinions out there. Most of what I'm hearing and seeing is this is great. Uh, nothing is obviously nothing is perfect. Um, and it's the old, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but in any, in any negotiation, but especially labor negotiation, you know, uh, if one side is completely happy, something went wrong. Right. Um, and so, but you know, by and large, there were some really amazing gains and some amazing protections that are in place. Um, you know, do I have a quibble or two? Sure. Of course. You know, I'm, any, anybody, any, like I said, anybody will in that kind of situation, but we also held out for a hell of a lot longer. They didn't think that that um, our membership had the stomach to keep going. Right. We and, got the, we got that, that whole like this is the the best and last offer, and then we were able to come back and go. No, we we'll we'll hang on for what's better. <laughs> uh, a little bit, yeah. I mean, it was frankly, this is you know, and I, and I can't say for sure I wasn't in the room, but it, my understanding is it's. You know, it's at least within shouting distance right. of what they labeled their last best and final. It seemed because it was pretty quick on the heels of that statement. And uh, and I know that it, that was similar to the Writers Guild as well. It seemed that they were saying, this is it. Take it or leave it. And then they were like, OK, well, look, fine. You're not you're not uh, taking it. And so it was a little bit of a nudge. And this is are we typically signing three year contracts or is this a shorter one? I, I'm I know I've voted on contracts no. before, but I don't know what the, the timeline is. Yeah, no, three years is very typical for this. Okay. Um, every once in a rare while, there might be a four-year term. Um, but by and large, I believe, and I'd have to go back and, and look it up, but I, I'm pretty sure it's been, you know, three years has been the lion's share in the last several contract cycles. And so when when you look at the, you know, the sort of overall picture of this, you know, the I'm looking at the letter from Fran Drescher, our president of the Screen Actors Guild, the American Federation of TV and Radio Artists. OK, let's start with more than one billion dollars in new wages and benefit plan spending or funding. Uh, how does that is that how did, do you know any of the structure as far as what we were able to accomplish through the streaming, you know, that where that financing is coming from? Sure. And, and, and again, this is all w- with an asterisk, uh, a, a, frankly, probably a double asterisk. Once again, let me just say, I was not a negotiating team. I was not in the room. Um, you know, that was a, obviously a very small number of people compared to our membership. And the actual texts of these things are never fully published until they're ratified for a whole bunch of reasons, both 
uh, uh, some confidentiality, but mostly just pragmatic ones. And this is not something that we're that you know the leadership is doing for the first time now. Right. It is every single contract. That's just the pattern. So that being said, um, yeah. So uh, nice gains in uh, residual payments, uh, both uh, for. Um, uh, broadcast and streaming, um, and um, you know what they call. Uh, I'm getting a little nerdy here, but um, that's okay. Uh, so there's HBS VOD, which is high budget subscription video on demand. Um, there's also low budget, and then there's you know the the broadcast over the air stuff. So all these different categories. And if, from our previous conversation, uh, you and I, when last we left our hero, um, we talked about um, some of these um, being just the whole paradigm was out of date. And that, some of that has been, has been dealt with. So those numbers are up. Um, background actors got a bump. Um, the, uh, another thing that was uh, important was that the amounts, uh, and this is for the people, for the, for our members who make a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. You get, now you're getting into the, either the nosebleed sections of, you know, the, the very recognizable movie star names. So there's a cap, for example, on, uh, on those enormous salaries of what the producers have to pay. Cause it's all percentages in, in, for into the health fund, into, uh, the, you know, pension for retirement, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that we got those caps raised so that they'll be uh, a little, you know, a little bit fairer in terms of uh, the contributions that they have to make on, on our high earning members. Um, because, Hey, a percentage is a percentage. And most of them know full well, they wouldn't be where they are without people blazing the trail in the union, you know, long before them. So, right. Not a lot of pushback on that, and that was great. Um, one really interesting new thing um, that we knew we knew we had to get something in the area of of um, you know in 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 other aspects of business they call it a windf- a windfall profit. You know, like the oil crisis back in '73 was you know I think where the term started. Um, but so there was a windfall windfall profits tax. So in other words, if you know you have something that is just an absolute national phenomenon uh, on a streaming service. Um, and the people who made that happen, the people that people tuned in to watch, the reason that they were buying a subscription to Netflix or Apple TV or Hulu or any of them um, are our members. That's who the people are seeing on the screen. And people were not getting compensated for the insane amounts of revenue that those shows and or movies were generating. Right. So that was a, that was a big target and what uh, ended up happening. And I have some information, not all of the hard numbers is that what has now been established is there is a a fund that is going to be set up. And for any project on any of these streamers that um, hits the mark of 20% of subscribers, tuning in 
at all. If it hits that mark of 20%, okay. then um, an amount of money, and not a bad amount of money, again, I don't have a hard number because that has to wait for ratification um, at the moment, I think. Um, but um, that will go into a general fund, right, uh, that, that is specifically being set up for this purpose. Um, 75% of that goes to the people in that show or in a TV show, movie, whatever it is, right? Three quarters of that money will go to those people for their contributions, their talent, their sweat equity to make that a success. The other 25% uh, will be, uh, and this is, you know, devil in the details. This isn't set yet in some way, shape or form benefit a, a larger group of the union. No one's sure yet what those parameters are. Will it be people who have worked on a TV theatrical contract in the past year, in the past contract cycle? Uh, who knows? That's up in the air. But, but, that, but people will benefit when the producers of, you know, uh, a Ted Lasso or, or something that's just spectacularly successful um, uh, and, and brings enormous amounts of money in, people be fairly compensated for their contributions to that project. And that's that's huge, too. That sounds great. I mean, that's that's a big part of what I've been wondering about, because it seemed as though they did not want to disclose those kinds of numbers like, you know, this show you know, created a frenzy of people all of a sudden signing up for our services. Uh, or, you know, I, I wasn't sure how that all worked out. And I'm glad to hear that we have a model in place uh, in order to compensate people, th- th- the people that are generating tremendous wealth <laughs> for executives in Wall Street. Right. I mean, this is what exactly. it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And that's at least that's an, you know, an acknowledgement and a first step. Right. Um, and they'll, they'll, again, they'll have to figure out they're going to sit down. It's They're going to create a um, uh, a group of trustees, just like our, you know, any any multi-employer union has, you know, a certain number of trustees from the union side and a certain number of trustees from the employer side. And they have to agree. Each side gets one vote. So you have everything has to be done in agreement. And they're going to set that up uh, for this fund as well. And then figure out, okay, how are we going to actually work this? Right, right. And so that'll be that'll be down the road. That's excellent. I mean, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot to uh, to to focus on, but it's a, a huge piece of this uh, this negotiation that I know people were fighting for. I was in Los Angeles uh, just after I, I was already planning to go out there. I had hoped to join the picket lines. Uh, not, I'm, I mean, not mm-hmm. not that I wanted the strike to go continue, but I, I was planning on being there. Uh, so being there in the kind of uh, hours after the, uh, the agreement was interesting because I, I do have friends in Los Angeles, one of whom is struggling. Um, you know, she hasn't worked since, you know, May, a little bit before that, uh, you know, and folks, you know, in the entertainment industry, we are feast or famine. And this famine mm-hmm. for some people has been catastrophic. She's was talking about how, you know, she's maxed out. Uh, she has to have a oral surgery and they won't let her go on a payment plan. And it's a whole it, it, like she's scared. And another friend of mine who is a vocal artist, a voice artist, uh, is concerned about the A.I. element of that. So tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. I know that uh, I know that there is an actress, an actor who is being very vocal in opposition to this. I think we're kind of alluding to that, and we don't need to go into it. But I think that's part of it's probably the the social media stream that you're talking about that I swim in. I think I probably have a lot of her followers that I'm getting. Uh, See, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Well, yeah. yes, it, you know, and 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 you know, to be fair, uh, we, we actually I was discussing this earlier today. Of course, how can, almost how can you not? In right. our, universe but um but um and yes and and listen she's very well researched on this and is not making wild insane claims like some other people are who are you know and i and i and and i don't i don't believe that she's militating toward you know telling people to vote no on the contract plenty of other people are you know doing well i shouldn't say plenty but i've seen a a vocal minority of people are doing that yeah Uh, that's that's not that um and listen, again, I'm going to go back to the, you know, did we get everything we want? Well, hell no, of course not. Um, but uh, the, the the protections are a really, really good first step. And built into the contract are continued talks on this topic. Because, right. you know... This is obviously going to keep changing. It's the old thing, you know, whatever technology you run to the store and buy, by the time you get it home, it's obsolete, right? <laughs> sure. So th- that's just going to keep, th- there's no way that's not going to keep going. Uh, that being said, there are, there are protections, for example, because um, uh, there's a breakdown. There's really four sort of areas where it's, either in place or looming. And it's mostly looming only because at this point, it's still too damned expensive um, to, to do it properly. Now that's going to change within, you know, you know, easily within five years, if not less, but at the moment, it's still not incredibly cost effective for them. Right. But so there's uh, in terms of how it will affect, uh, uh, both actors. And as you point out, uh, voice actors, uh, you know, camera, camera and voice actors. So there's digital replicas. That's the first sort of couple of buckets, uh, creating a digital replica of a person of a performer. Right. And so there are two ways that happens. One's called employment based. And that is the, the digital replica is created during their employment by the producers on any given uh, project and they have to give consent. They have to be compensated for it. Uh, they have to get credit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that is created over the course of somebody's employment. The other version of it is called independently created digital replica. And that is something that is based on, and this is the one that's too expensive to use right now. Um, this is based on someone's, um, existing material, like, um, oh, yeah, I don't know, let's just say um, Tom Cruise and all of the Mission Impossible movies, right? You've got umpteen hours of, of him and his voice and his body and his everything on film. So using that to create something that he didn't actually do, but from existing material, right? That's called independently created digital replica. And that's also, you know, subject to the contract limitations and compensation, 
um, and consent, right? You have to get somebody's consent, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so those are, those are the, uh, two of the four main buckets in that. Um, uh, and then there's one also for, uh, background actors, which is a little more complicated, um, because digital replication of background actors is, is something that hasn't, that's like been done already, right? You, there are already films for some years now, um, that, recreate crowd scenes by taking a certain uh, uh, section of background actors and just multiplying them. And so if they're in one section of a stadium, all of a sudden you've got the stadium filled with, you know, several manifestations of that same initial image, right? So that's sort of been going on already. This puts some some fences around it. Again, got to have consent. Uh, you got to have a certain note, uh, amount of notification that um, they're going to uh, do that and be again and be compensated for it. That, the fourth one. That's I mean the AI ahead. stuff is just so hard. And so I'm sorry. What's the fourth one? Oh, so the fourth one is the same uh, technology that is behind the infamous uh, chat GPT oh, yeah. it's generative AI. So generative AI, uh, you know, learns it, 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 it sort of is, is a little bit related to the um, independently created digital replica, but um, the generative AI takes um, patterns and um, someone's movements and vocal modulation and accent and their facial expressions um, to create entirely new content. And this, this is the one that, uh, again, down the road, it's not, it's not ready yet, but down the road um, is the real danger uh, for our members potentially. And this is the one that everybody is, you know, most concerned about, including, by the way, our, our brothers and sisters in the Writers Guild, um, uh, because it, they're basically eventually, you know, they're two, that's two dimensional, right? It's writing. It's not mm -hmm. the physical. Right? So they're not there yet with either of us. But, you know, if you squint real hard, you can see it on the horizon. So you wanted to get some protections in early. And again, and this on, on the generative, this is the one where it's the most, uh, where they mention at least, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the document here, and I'm, I think it's at least twice, and this is just a teeny summary, that um, there will be regular meetings uh, between the two sides to discuss you know, right. how this is going to go down, what fences are around it, um, what can you never do, what can you do, you know, with, um, uh, with, with permission, with, uh, and again, I think this came up in a previous conversation, you and I had the three C's, which are consent, compensation, and credit. Um, yep. So, and that's, that's going to be a conversation that's going to be ongoing. We've been talking and when I say ongoing, I mean, probably for years. 
So. Yeah, I know that's what I say. And, yeah. and it's a part of a bigger conversation, too, because of legislation through the federal government. You know, there has to be done at the at the national level as in regards to this technology. Yeah. We've been talking to Richard Chavzin, the uh, Pre- I, I the president of Chicago Litigation Consultants. Look at, I'm looking at your LinkedIn page. Graduate of oh, that's true. You, you, graduate of the University of Wisconsin Madison. Uh, we have our listeners out there, which would, would who would be thrilled to know that you're uh, an alumna, alumni of uh, University of Wisconsin UW. Um, I look forward to having you in studio soon, my friend. Uh, I, I'm I'm relieved, and in particular, I know this has been catastrophic for people uh, who you know we and I knew this at the beginning, and I remember being in a meeting and and folks kind of trying to figure out the emotions that we were portraying we wanted to show strength and you know kind of being uh photographed smiling was was hard because we also knew that there were people that were going to struggle through this so it was a a big balancing act too i think but i no no question about it yeah yeah i'm thank you so much for all your hard work and leadership my friend and, and well, listen, thank you for giving this uh, uh, some oxygen and uh, letting folks uh, talk about it. I think it's going to be, and you'll excuse the expression, generating uh, no small amount of um, conversation uh, over the ratification period. Yeah, I agree. And I've, I've been proud to serve as a strike captain, and I, and I intend to do more work with SAG-AFTRA in a level that I previously, I, didn't, I, I just didn't have the bandwidth. But now I'm all in, my friend. Tell me where and when, and I'm there. That's all I'm saying. Hey, you are on every list there is at the moment. So, uh, you know, welcome to the deep end, my friend. Oh, yeah. I got, I got, my, I got my, uh, my water wings. I'm ready to go. Let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Richard. I look forward to seeing you soon, my friend. Back at you, Patty. Take care. Have a great night. Bye-bye. That's Richard, Sha- Bye. Richard Shavzin. And uh, hi to our friend in uh, Vegas. Chris Ritter, I hope, is listening. Yes. So hello to our friend Chris. Have a great night. Yeah, he said he would. All okay, right. bye. All right there. Talk, talk to you later. I uh, want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. I do want to say one thing before we go. I just learned um, through the text screen. Um, I don't have, I, I'm out of time, but uh, a listener has passed away that um, I had the honor of meeting at uh, my events at Tata's uh, Kitchen and Social when we did our comedy shows there. Big Jim and Skokie. I just uh, received a text in the last half hour from his wife, Susan. Um, I don't know if she listens to the show. I know Big Jim was a huge fan, would text and join our conversation almost every day. I um, This is my first time... Uh, experiencing this in real time as far as knowing that I won't hear from such a wonderful, uh, passionate person who uh, I consider to be a, a wonderful friend of the show. So my condolences and my love to his family. Have a great night, everybody.